This is Global Tennessee, news analysis and commentary from the Tennessee World Affairs Council in Nashville. Global Tennessee is produced in association with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The World Affairs Council is a nonpartisan, nonprofit educational association, and the views expressed on Global Tennessee are those of the participants. Welcome. This is Global Tennessee. I'm Patrick Ryan, president of the Tennessee World Affairs Council. Thanks for listening. Uh, today we're talking with Sam Denny uh, of the Brookings Institution in Washington, D.C. Uh, he's a Nashville native, and we're going to talk about uh, his background here in Nashville, what he uh, learned at uh, Montgomery Bell Academy and Vanderbilt University before going off to find the world and uh, uh, land at the world-renowned Brookings Institution in Washington, D.C. Sam, uh, welcome to uh, Global Tennessee. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me, Pat. I'm really honored to be here. And uh, let's uh, let's start out with uh, just a, a brief discussion of, of the Brookings Institution, and we're going to drill down deeper in, in the second half of the podcast after we find out about your Nashville roots. But uh, tell us just a, a little bit about the Brookings Institution and, and what people should know about uh, public policy think tanks. Sure, happy to. So uh, Brookings, it's in, so Brookings is a public policy think tank, public, public policy workshop, and among the many kind of think tanks in Washington around the world, it's it's unique because it's a kind of full service operation. And what I mean by that is they look at both aspects of foreign policy, aspects of domestic policy, economic policy. Um, overall, it's divided into five kind of five focuses: so foreign policy, metropolitan policy, so looking at cities, how you build smart cities, governance studies economic studies and kind of global um, affairs. And um, what I do there, I am a, a research assistant in the Center on the U.S. and Europe within the kind of foreign policy team. Okay. Uh, like I said, we're going to uh, talk more about uh, what you do at Brookings and what Brookings produces uh, in terms of public policy uh, uh, studies and so forth, but let's uh, let's start out with uh, uh, Sam Denny growing up in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, we got to uh, get acquainted with you uh, when we brought a team from Mumfog High School, our Academic World Quest uh, champions, and and we uh, had a great podcast interview with them two episodes ago. Uh, so people can uh, check back with that. But uh, you were among a group of uh, four analysts uh, or four researchers from Brookings who sat down uh, and were very generous with your time with our UMFOG uh, WorldQuest team. And uh, they were wondering what high – you didn't mention what high school you went to after you said you were from <laughs> Nashville. But I, I think they uh, they teased out the, the fact that you, you were probably an MBA guy. Yeah. Uh, but uh, tell us you, – you were born in Nashville, and, and where did where'd the road go from there? Sure. Happy to. So, um, yeah, I was born here in Nashville, actually, at, at Vanderbilt Hospital, and uh, spent the first couple of years of my life here. Um, and then lived in Mobile, Alabama on the Gulf Coast for a few years until fifth grade and then came back to Nashville after that. Um, and as, as, your, as uh, your students kind of guessed, I, I did go to Montgomery Bell Academy here um, after doing a stint at uh, St. Paul Christian Academy over on, on Hillsborough. Um, and yeah, so from... Basically, from the fifth grade on, I, I grew up here in Nashville, spent my college years here in Nashville. And so 
have to say, it was when I found out y'all were uh, coming to visit us at Brookings, it was a special treat to speak to a group of students from Nashville. It's something we all try to do um, as much as we can, as much as our schedules will allow, to talk to people who are hoping to one day work in foreign affairs, kind of cultivate that interest in the world, and to do so with a group of students from Nashville, from my hometown, uh, was really special to me. So thank well, you we've, we've had a great relationship with Brookings uh, over, over the years, and and a big hat tip to Will Moreland for setting up these uh, engagements between students and, uh, and researchers and other other staff there. So you were telling me in high school you you started to get interested in the world, mm-hmm. and you uh, you were went abroad. Uh, tell me a little bit about how how you got interested in what's going on in the world outside the sure. Nashville area. Sure. Um, so it all happened a little bit. Uh, by chance. So as a kid, I was always really interested in history um, and would read a lot. And at some point, uh, I felt like I ran out of books to read, and so I wanted to learn another language um, to have access to just more stuff in the library. So I picked up German just because a lot of my friends were learning French or Spanish, and I wanted to be different. It's a little bit obstinate that way. (laughs) Um, And so I started learning German in the ninth grade, um, and that was kind of my first real exposure to foreign affairs, kind of through the classroom, learning a language. And I was lucky enough to get the opportunity to go abroad uh, when I was in high school. I went to Magdeburg, Germany for a couple week period, I think in the summer after my sophomore year. And that really kind of laid the seeds of kind of where I am now, just because I had never, as a kid growing up here in Nashville, never really had um, much connection to Europe or kind of places outside of America, um, and seeing that just kind of let a spark. To go now, back. now Magdeburg is a sister city of Nashville. It is, yes, sir. W- were you there as part of a sister city program, or just? I believe so. It was um, it was organized by my high school German professor. Oh, okay. So yeah, we went to Magdeburg and spent I think a day in Berlin as well. Yes, uh, Magdeburg is one of the eight uh, sister cities of uh, of Nashville, and and the sister cities of Nashville, I think it's sister cities Nashville, scnashville.org, for people interested in the sister cities program, but uh, they do a tremendous job of getting youth involved in uh, uh, building bridges uh, with mm-hmm. uh, the eight sister cities. Um, so it's it, it could very well have been uh, that connection that got you started on, on the, the path. So uh, you graduated MBA, and then, mm-hmm. then what? After that, I uh, decided to go to Vanderbilt, and um, I first didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, so I kept studying German, and at some point I kind of lit upon the German-European Studies program at Vanderbilt, and that really, that it, w- it was a mixture of really all of my interests. It was a little bit of history, politics, culture um, and really enabled me to um, to receive an education that was more that was very well-rounded and not too focused on one thing and so instead of just kind of doing a deep dive into just history or to just culture where you maybe become a teacher it enabled me to really get a sense of Germany and Europe as kind of a place and a group of people um, which I found really uh, worthwhile and it's actually at Vanderbilt that I had kind of the kind of transformational experience that really set me on the path of, you know, looking at foreign policy, kind of government. Um, um, as I did a study abroad, kind of a longer study abroad experience in Regensburg, Germany, when I was a junior um, and spent about seven, eight months there. Um, and it was, that was really, I would say, life-changing. Um, and I think that there's one theme 
you can pick up from kind of my story. It's that it's the opportunity. If you ever had the opportunity to go abroad and study and live with other people in a different place, ideally in a different language, it will absolutely change your world. Um, and so when I was in Germany, I also went to travel down a little bit, went to Israel, and Palestine, um, and from there kind of came back with this kind of burning kind of passion to um, work in foreign policy, either in at a think tank or in government or kind of any way I could. So, yeah. Were there any uh, programs in Nashville at the time that uh, filled in some of the blanks for you, uh, either at university or around around the town that uh, you were interested in? Sure. So I, um, I mean, as we were talking about the Sister Cities program, which kind of this initial experience, and then um, a number of my friends were of kind of German background, so kind of learned about um, the country through from them, from their families, and then different kind of programs through the university as well. Um, there's German clubs there, and actually, in particular, one thing that was pretty important was this program at Vanderbilt called McTeer, the McTeer Hall which you would sign up for a specific language and you'd basically live throughout the semester entirely in that language. Um, you'd speak German or French or Chinese um, with everyone who lived in the hall with you, and you'd, you'd talk about issues going on in your region um, or just talk very, about... Very, very good immersion program. Yeah, right, exactly. Right at home, yeah. Um, and so it's, that was kind of the buildup to going abroad for me because um, I'd already been living in German um, for about a year or so. And so that was just the next logical step. Okay, from uh, Nashville, then then you left town. Yes, sir. Uh, you went to go, go ahead and fill in the blanks a- after yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so after I, I graduated from Vanderbilt in 2014, um, I moved to Washington and worked for a nonprofit focusing on domestic policy issues called No Labels. Um, and while I was there, um, I kind of learned it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. Um, so I applied for an internship in Germany through the Bundestag, through the German Academic Exchange Service, um, and kind of applied on a whim because I found it and one of my professors recommended me for it. Um, and I still remember it to this day, just getting the initial email back from them that I was going to be interviewed. I mean, my, my kind of, my, my heart almost stopped a little bit and I just kind of almost shot out of my seat. Pretty cool. Yeah. Because I, I never really expected, you know, you you see things like that and you think it's, it's you know, thousands of people apply. It's a moonshot, right? Um, but, you know, sometimes those things work out and you should always take a chance. So um, I, I went and... Well, the depth of your uh, academic work and, and your credentials at that point probably made you a, a very uh, good candidate. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think you, the, since I've been learning German for so long as well, it was easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, in the fall of 2015, um, went and interned with the Committee on Affairs of the European Union, the German Bundestag. And so Tell us it, what the Bundestag is for those who don't know. Sure, of course. It's, so it's the German parliament. Um, so when I was there, if you're kind of tracking this timeline on kind of with European affairs, European events same time this was um right at the kind of the height of the migration crisis in europe um and one of the big kind of events that happened when i was interning in the bundestag was the the Bataclan attack in paris um and so from the kind of 
the perspective I had, I saw how the European Union, in particular Germany, kind of reacts in time of crisis and kind of the, the innate kind of uh, cooperation, the innate kind of solidarity that exists between European countries, um, and particularly Germany and France. Um, and that was a really pivotal kind of moment just because it's, it's, it was a perspective I had never seen before. I remember talking to colleagues in my office and, you know, from there, they had grown up um, in the European Union, essentially, and with the kind of develops in the European Union, like sh the Schengen system, mm -hmm. in which you can cross borders without showing a passport. And for them, all of these developments were, were second nature. You can never imagine going back to um, the world that existed before. And so... Sure. Now, the Bataclan attack was a mass murder attack in a mm -hmm. nightclub. But as I recall, there were... Yep. Peripheral attacks yep. as well, and these were um, claimed by ISIS. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah, if I remember right. Um, and and it uh, was really the first of what has been a wave of attacks in the EU from from ISIS correct. Uh, militants. Correct. Um, and so when I so when I was interning in Germany, I kind of made the decision, um, kind of just moving forward in the timeline to apply to grad school because that seemed um, to be the next logical step in kind of if I if my goal was to work in Washington foreign policy um, it seemed that I kind of reached the the limit of what my undergrad degree could provide in terms of credentials in terms of experience um, so I applied to a few grad schools in Washington uh, at the time my top choice was Johns Hopkins um, Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies so Johns Hopkins SICE um, and applied to Georgetown as well. Um, and ultimately, between the two of them, I got into both of them and opted to go to Georgetown kind of um, because they had a program that really fit with what my trajectory had been, so a German-European studies program within the School of Foreign Service, which is the main kind of graduate foreign affairs-focused kind of collection of degrees. Um, and... Also, it was ultimately a question of kind of they offered me a better scholarship as well. So that's always <laughs> helpful. Um, so Parents like that. Yeah. Yeah. It made the decision a little bit easier. Um, now, the Georgetown School of Foreign Studies is, is uh, well known for uh, many of its uh, alums. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, Bill Clinton, is, is that right? And yep. Yeah. He went to undergrad there, I believe. And I think yep. uh, Madeline Albright was a professor. She is. Actually, I, um, I was in her class, too. Yeah, so that's uh, I mean that's a, a great day experience. Sir, it was. It, I mean, it's I I look back at all this and and find myself incredibly lucky and something I have enjoyed throughout my time in Washington is you you kind of have these moments where you something happens or you'll meet someone or be in some class or be in some event and you kind of look at yourself and your life and you know kind of a simple guy from Tennessee, like, how, how in the world did I end up here? This is really cool, <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah, for sure. Um, and th those are the moments I always enjoy. It's kind of this kind of humanity, kind of this human reaction to something. So, Okay, well, we're going to take uh, a break here. Just a reminder, we're talking with Sam Denny. He's a research uh, assistant at the uh, Brookings Institution in Washington, D.C. He's uh, a Nashville guy, uh, went to um, Montgomery Bell Academy and Vanderbilt University before heading off to uh, discover the world and uh, to learn more about that and to try to explain it to people. And we're going to come back and talk about his experiences at the Brookings Institution and uh, maybe dip 
a little bit into what's going on in the world. It's a pretty complicated place, and, and guys like Sam spend uh, all their working hours uh, explaining it to the rest of us. So this is uh, Global Tennessee, and we will be right back. You're listening to Global Tennessee from the World Affairs Council. We invite you to share your thoughts with us in email, info at tnwac.org. You can subscribe to the World Affairs Council newsletter on the website, tnwac.org. And you can like us on Facebook at Tennessee WAC, as well as follow us on Twitter at TNWAC. Don't forget to tell your friends about Global Tennessee and the World Affairs Council. This podcast and other educational programs from the World Affairs Council are supported by you and our sponsors. Are you interested in supporting global affairs awareness in your community? Visit TNWAC.org for more information. Welcome back. This is Global Tennessee. I'm Patrick Ryan, president of the Tennessee World Affairs Council. Uh, Just a reminder, if you have not listened to uh, the new series we have under the Global Tennessee umbrella, Global Nashville with Carl Dean, uh, take a listen. He just uh, finished an episode where he talked with Renata Soto from Conexion Americas. Uh, she is uh, leaving uh, Conexion, moving on uh, to other things after 12 years as the executive director and the founder of Conexion. And uh, Carl and Renata had a great conversation. So uh, take a listen uh, to that podcast and leave a note uh, telling us what you thought. Uh, we're here with Sam Denny. He's a research assistant at the Brookings Institution in Washington, D.C. And we've been talking uh, with Sam about uh, his uh, upbringing in Nashville, uh, going to school at uh, Montgomery Bell Academy, uh, traveling to uh, Germany and developing an interest in the world, going on to Vander- Vanderbilt, doing an undergraduate uh, program there before heading off, uh, working in Washington, working in uh, Germany with the Bundestag, the German parliament, and then his time at uh, Georgetown University in the School of Foreign Service. Uh, Sam, uh, we are going to talk a little bit about uh, Brookings. Uh, we started at the, the top of the, the podcast talking uh, in, in kind of an overview of what Brookings is about. But tell us what what you do at, at uh, the Brookings Institution there in that lofty uh, perch on Massachusetts Avenue in, in uh, swanky downtown Washington, D.C., on, uh, just down the street from Embassy Row, uh, where we visited with uh, our, our WorldQuest team a month ago. Uh, so, so what's the typical day there? Are you um, deeply immersed in uh, uh, individual study, or are you working with uh, colleagues, uh, holding seminars? Give us, give us the what's what's a week at Brookings look like? <laughs> sure, of course, I'd be, I'd be glad to. So, I think I'd start off by saying Brookings is probably pretty unique among think tanks, at least from what I've experienced, in that it's it's a very fast paced. Um, um, team-oriented environment. Um, so I work there on a team with three other research assistants, and we support a group of, I think, nine or so resident scholars, um, or nine scholars, or nine to ten scholars, sorry. It fluctuates. So um, what that entails is really a little bit of everything, and um, no one day will ever be the same. So that could be having kind of a slower day. We do a lot of research research for a different scholar on a particular project. Um, recently, we've been doing a lot of work kind of looking uh, forward to the European Parliament elections, which are going to be happening from May 23rd to 26th. Um, we have a project coming out over the next couple of weeks kind of 
uh, with different takes on what these elections mean. Um, but kind of on another day, you could be setting up for a huge event with a European head of state or a U.S. senator or uh, whomever, and that could range from having a, a full auditorium with about 150 people, 160 people, to having a small round table. Um, and then, so those are the two kind of extremes where you might be kind of researching on a topic together with a couple other people um, or kind of running around from, you know, morning to night um, trying to make sure all, all loose ends fit together for a big speaker. Now, uh, when we talked with uh, with you and your colleagues uh, with the Academic Request team from UMFOG, I think it was described as um, an institution that produces uh, research of value to mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. government and uh, others around the country on uh, these host of issues, uh, yep. in, not just international, but domestic issues as well. So talk a little bit about when when you're doing research and, and the research scholars, What what's the end result uh, other than just uh, inspection of a topic, but producing useful materials that somebody's going to get some benefit out of? Sure, yeah, sure. Um, so that, that's, that's, a, that's a great point. And so what if you kind of think about what, where Brookings and think tanks exist, kind of the spectrum of kind of public policy creation and government, um, given that people working in government are so busy, have to do a lot of different things throughout the day, they don't have a lot of time for some of the deeper strategic thinking. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where a place like Brookings comes in, where people can sit down and think about an issue from a number of different perspectives, really dive deep into it to create kind of a a well-researched and kind of factual product that can go and then inform policy. And it's it's been said by people from both sides of the aisle that if they need a, a well-researched and kind of heavy-hitting uh, look at a topic, be it artificial intelligence or U.S. relations with Turkey or U.S. relationship with the European Union or what have you, that they know based on kind of Brookings' reputation, they can go and pick up some a report from Brookings and it's going to be sound and they can take it to the bank. And I suspect most of the customers for the, uh, the materials produced by Brookings don't have the specialists with uh, the, the breadth and depth of knowledge on these, these topics that, that uh, you and your colleagues bring to bear. Um, I would, I mean, I would say that, I mean, Brookings, people who work at Brookings are a highly talented group, um, and they, it, it's, the goal is to make the creation of policy easier and more efficient. Mm -hmm. um, and so you have people who at one time were in government or maybe will go into government working to kind of sit down and think deeply about topics, um, to kind of fill a gap in um, the creation of policy that that just uh, people don't have time for when they're in State Department or in Congress. So you're in a building, and I uh, understand there's about 300 um, on the staff of Brookings. Uh, General John Allen is the uh, the boss, sir. Uh, retired uh, Marine four-star. Um, so it, it's a, a, a building filled with very talented people. And, and what's, what's uh, the daily routine there? Is it uh, a, a fun place to be, or is it uh, – uh, like a, a monastery where people walk walk around <laughs> thinking deep thoughts. Um, I think it, it really depends on what team you're on. Um, have different teams within Brookings have different work styles. There are some that are more kind of devoted to the I guess stereotypical you know sit kind of sequestered in your in your office, think big thoughts, and kind of write books as quickly as possible. But there's others which is kind of like my team, the Center on Years in Europe, which 
you're kind of moving at a thousand miles an hour all the time and trying to do everything as as much as much as you can as efficiently as possible yeah and working together is the best way to do that um and that's i i really enjoy that honestly um i kind of i i think kind of being able to be busy all the time for me um and kind of go in work from when i get there at 8 30 or so till i leave 5 36 is the most enjoyable way of working for me um and that's something that's really impressed me is just really the dedication of people that work there. Um, is there a lot of uh, uh, collaboration with uh, individuals from other agencies and, and and other think tanks or organizations in, in the government and otherwise and uh, field travel, especially in the area of foreign policy? From time to time, definitely. And it, it's, it's fairly common that people from Brookings will be called to testify before Congress or will be called to brief um, officials in Congress, kind of in a more private setting. Um, or kind of brief members of State Department, what have you. Um, and kind of in terms of collaboration with other think tanks, that happens as well from time to time. Um, we're, I think we're hosting an event with another think tank on, on Turkey in the next couple of weeks. Um, it really depends. Okay, well, let's. Uh, we, we're uh, burning through time here pretty quick, but we're learning, learning a lot about uh, what goes on in a think tank like uh, Brookings institution in, in Washington, but let's uh, take just one little dive into what's going on in the world. It's it's a pretty complicated place, and a tour de raison of, uh, of all the crises and challenges. Uh, you know, as, as we speak, we've got situations in North Korea, the Middle East, uh, China uh, trade and tariffs. Uh, it's, it's a real basket full of uh, woes out there, and, and you guys are trying to make sense yeah. of it. What uh, out of all those things or any others, what what do you uh, uh, what can you explain to us today? What sure, what's on your sure. mind? So what what I am kind of have been focused on the most um, in my kind of research, kind of at Brookings, but out, also outside of Brookings, and we'll say my these these views are mine and not necessarily representative of of Brookings. But um, what to me is the most important thing coming up next couple of weeks is probably the European Parliament elections, as I mentioned. And just to kind of briefly sketch out what that is, it is a continent-wide election to the European Parliament, which is a directly elected uh, governance institution in Europe. Um, and so each country will vote on a list of representatives running for the Parliament. The Parliament will then select um, the members of the European Commission, which focuses, which is, functions as essentially the Euro European um, executive branch. And this is how you get... Jean-Claude Juncker in his kind of current position in 2014 was the last European Parliament election, and he was selected uh, out of that or based on that kind of through a process called the Spitzenkandidat process, which is overly complicated. We don't need to talk about it now. <laughs> um, but really why these particular elections are important is um, for the first time, I think, in European post-war history, you have a... Um, a series of parties that are campaigning on something that's completely antithetical to what has been the European, the course of the European Union, um, which has been won by kind of fits and starts of kind of deeper integration and kind of deeper cooperation across borders. Um, and this has occurred, I mean, fairly, fairly pretty much out of the ashes of the Second World War, which, w which for Europeans was such a traumatizing um, event that they decided 
that in order to prevent such a cataclysmic war from ever happening again, that it needed to bind closer together to um, really kind of melt the kind of the borders that existed and divides that existed. So this is sort of the political manifestation of what we've seen, the trends exactly. in Europe of uh, increased nationalism and and uh, rejection of uh, the, the compact of, of nations there, uh, the, the prime example being Brexit. Yeah. Brexit is one example of this kind of um, kind of re- reemergence of nationalism. Um, the, the parties that are kind of campaigning against the European Union, led kind of most notably by the Italian interior minister, Matteo Salvini, and Hungarian prime minister, uh, Viktor Orban, they're kind of campaigning on this return to a Europe of nations mm-hmm. um, as opposed to a, a kind of deeper integration of uh, the European Union. Um, and what exactly that would mean in practice is a little bit unclear um, because a lot of the programs that um, are so beneficial in the European Union come out of a kind of a cooperation and a pooling of funds. Um, so if you then revert back to every kind of nation for itself, you have to wonder what would happen to these kind of cooperative elements. Um, well, we'll look forward to seeing uh, the results of, uh, of the uh, EU uh, parliamentary elections uh, later in May. Uh, it should be uh, interesting, and, and uh, a lot of people are looking at uh, related issues, the backdrop being the, the U.S. commitment to NATO and, and some of the other issues. Uh, clearly, Brexit has been on people's minds. Although uh, trying to sort that out would probably take longer than, than we have <laughs> yeah. here, so let's uh, let's leave the the world in your capable hands to uh, <laughs> uh, analyze with with your colleagues, and we'll look forward to reading about uh, the results coming out of Brookings uh, about that. Uh, life in Washington, uh, guy growing up in Nashville. What's uh, uh, what's the attraction of uh, living and and uh, when you? Head out the door uh, in the afternoon. Uh, there you are in the nation's capital. Give us a, a, a brief snapshot sure. of what that's like. Yeah, no, I I, I love living in Washington. Um, I think what to me stands out the most about the city is that it's such a diverse place. Um, there's no one kind of conception of Washington that you can get because you have on the one hand kind of all of the the city that's around Capitol Hill or around the White House, which is a very kind of it's a government city it's very mm-hmm. um planned but then once you leave that area and go into different parts it's completely different and you have um every neighborhood has its own exactly yeah. and you can kind of go it's small enough where you can experience all this very easily and go from neighborhood to neighborhood and see different street exhibitions go to a wide variety of amazing restaurants yeah. um yeah so it's 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 a city that you can continually explore and discover anew, no matter kind of how long you've been there, because it's kind of changing all the time. Yeah, and the uh, the sightseeing is uh, is pretty good because just about everything's free. <laughs> yeah, all the museums. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, Sam, uh, you you've been out, you've seen the world, you build bridges uh, in Germany and and other countries, and and you live with your uh, colleagues and work with your colleagues in in Brookings. And when you come back to Nashville, you look around, and uh, the the place has certainly changed mm-hmm. since uh, you were at Montgomery Bell Academy in Vanderbilt. What what is it about Nashville that uh, strikes you as uh, adding to its global character? I think it's to all the people that are coming to Nashville now. They've kind of realized this cool factor that was already there, um, and 
to me, Nashville represents this kind of this underdiscovered part of America where there's it has a charm that's its own. And you can see it in these these kind of districts in Nashville that are now so hip, like 12 South or something like that. Well, that that's been parts of that have been there since I was a kid. And it's just now that's being discovered. And so Nashville, to me, um, I would say represents this kind of uh, this undiscovered, underdiscovered part of America that has a global charm or is 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 accessible to people from around the world and is a, and people from around the world can appreciate it but it's just now kind of um seeing kind of receiving the limelight it deserves um yeah well we've been talking with sam denny uh sam thanks so much for coming in and and spending time on your your home time uh with us. and uh we uh we look forward to uh more engagements between the Tennessee World Affairs Council and the Brookings Institution. Uh, we have uh, a great appreciation for the uh, the open welcome that we receive with our students when we come up there in uh, April with uh, the Academic WorldQuest uh, Championship teams. Uh, so thanks to you and your colleagues for for hosting us, sir. And thanks for uh, for coming in. You've been listening to Global Tennessee. I'm Patrick Ryan, President of Tennessee World Affairs Council. Uh, just a reminder, the World Affairs Council is a nonprofit, nonpartisan uh, uh, educational charity, and we rely on your support to make things possible uh, in our programs, which include uh, speaker programs, education outreach in uh, high schools and universities. And we invite you to become a member Visit tnwac.org to make a gift or to become a member. Uh, Stop by and see us in our brand-new digs at uh, Fidelity Hall, room 304A at Belmont University. We have a a wonderful partnership with Belmont University. We really thank them for their uh, generous uh, support of the World Affairs Council, and we enjoy doing our programs, our town halls uh, here at Belmont with the students and faculty uh, and everything is open to the community, but we really enjoy the relationship we have with, with Belmont. So stop by our office in Fidelity Hall, 304A, and uh, you can uh, express your interest in volunteering, becoming a member, or perhaps making a gift to the World Affairs Council so this nonprofit uh, organization can can continue to do what we do. Again, that's it for uh, Global uh, Tennessee. Pat Ryan from the Tennessee World Affairs Council. Uh, Thanks for listening. This has been Global Tennessee from the World Affairs Council in cooperation with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The executive producer of Global Tennessee is Patrick Ryan. Senior producer, Logan Monday. Technical advisor, Bill Ryan. And the voice of Global Tennessee, as well as the Penn Jones Conspiracy, I'm Benjamin Olson. Visit tnwac.org slash podcast for more information.